Kellogg's CEO's Chicago address suggests that the idea of a company headquarters may not mean quite what it used to. And Crane's reporter John Pletz joins me to discuss how airlines are now seeking criminal charges against unruly passengers amid a dramatic uptick in in-flight incidents. If you have an incident on an aircraft right now, it's generally a civil it's a civil penalty. It's up to $35,000, but it's it's not criminal. And what they're asking the DOJ to do is start pursuing some of these criminally. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Tuesday, June 29th. When it comes to a professional like your doctor or lawyer, you want someone who knows you well. Wintrust believes you should have the same relationship with your banker, someone you can call directly and know they'll understand your concerns. Thousands of local business owners called their Wintrust banker when they needed Paycheck Protection Program loans. They called, Wintrust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. I'm joined now by Cranes reporter John Pletz here to talk about an uptick in unruly aircraft passenger incidents. This is, a, I, I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast. I've been very interested to watch this story just because when you, when you hear about these stories happening, they seem kind of unbelievable. But recently some airlines and some other, some union and other groups have asked the federal government for reinforcement with some uh, criminal charges. So what can you tell me about all of this that's going on? Well, it comes amid uh, just this, shocking rise in the number of incidents of unruly passengers, you know, in the air. We've had a couple of pretty severe incidents that really got people's attention. There was a Southwest flight attendant who was, who was attacked, punched on a flight and ended up, ended up losing two teeth. And so the various uh, aviation groups and, and unions, um, you know, the flight attendants, pilots have asked the uh, Department of Justice to start pursuing these as criminal complaints, not just civil complaints. If you have an incident on an aircraft right now, it's generally a civil penalty. It's up to $35,000, but it's not, it's not criminal. And what they're asking the DOJ to do is start pursuing some of these criminally in hopes that that will send a message to people that you cannot do this on airplanes. And do you have any indication or, or you know, in your reporting, have you come across any industry groups that have an idea about why this uptick is happening? Yeah, they say it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a combination of things. One of them is uh, people are just starting to fly again. And uh, after 15 months of the pandemic of people being at home, uh, you know, they've, they've basically sort of forgotten how to behave in public. And, you know, the, the bigger issue there is, is also that it, it reflects the stress of the pandemic. So flying is stressful for people for a lot of reasons. As one pilot told me, he says, you know, every, everybody brings some emotional carry on onto a flight. But what you have now is, you know, whether people are just happy to get away or whether they're anxious about something else, they're anxious about COVID, uh, they're anxious about the pandemic. You know, you've got an already stressful situation that is, it just gets, you know, cranked up to 10 as uh, one of the uh, one of the unions told me that everybody's stress level is is just really elevated so people are more agitated and that's why you're seeing way way more complaints than they've ever seen 
I like that emotional carry on. That's I think that's fair. A lot of people have anxiety about traveling anyway. So when when we say uptick, what kind of numbers are we talking about? The FAA says that the number of incidents it's investigated uh, so far this year is is almost quadruple the number in in previous years. That number it held pretty consistent, and and it really shot up. The number of complaints about unruly passengers uh, was something like 3,100. And they, they didn't have historical data on that, but said it's definitely higher than it had been. And a lot of those are, are due to masks, uh, you know, the mandate that, that uh, passengers still wear masks. But as one of the um, unions told me, it's not only about the masks. Some of the most severe incidents that they've had had nothing to do with masks. We're talking about what's happened so far this year, and we're heading into peak travel season. What are they thinking in terms of mitigation measures leading into this high travel season over the summer? That's one of the reasons that they contacted the Department of Justice, is they wanted to sort of send a message to people to to behave and not cause problems on, on aircraft. I think that's, that's what they're hoping to do. That, that was a big reason behind the letter was to not only get uh, you know, the threat of uh, criminal prosecution involved, but also just to really remind people as we head into peak summer travel season that you know, you're going to have flights that are crowded. Um, you know, a lot, we've seen a big uptick in travel demand. Uh, you know, I've, I've talked to uh, some airline groups that have said you know, it's not uncommon to see load factors on some flights that are you know, 90%. And so you're going to have some full flights. You're going to have people who aren't used to traveling. Uh, probably not only have they not traveled in over a year. Generally, with leisure travelers, a lot of folks who don't fly very often, and that's just kind of a tough mix. And I think that's what they're they're trying to remind people of: is you know, take a breath and think about where you're at, and try and behave. And what kind of timeline could be attached to this? If this request is successful, what, what would that look like? It's not clear. The, the, the Department of Justice um, could, could act as quickly or as slowly as it wants. So I, d- I don't know when or if uh, they'll act. But, you know, it, it's basically they're, they're trying to draw attention to um, what's become, you know, a bad situation. One of the reasons uh, potentially for that uptick, that sharp rise in the number of uh, incidents investigated by the FAA is earlier this year, as we were starting to, you know, slowly see an uptick in travel, the FAA announced a zero tolerance policy uh, for for uh, bad behavior in the, in the air. And so I think they're taking those complaints much, much more seriously. Uh, and, you know, they've already pursued fines of about a half million dollars uh, against passengers. Uh, you know, the maximum is, is 35000 per incident. So I think that also uh, is reflected in those numbers. But the flight attendants and pilots say that, um, you know, certainly the, uh, the number of incidents is up as well. And do you have any indication of whether the nature of the incidents are also getting worse along with the overall number of them? Can't tell uh, from the data, but certainly some of the uh, some of the incidents that have been reported reflect that it's way beyond uh, you know verbal abuse that you're that you're having some some incidents of you know uh, of, of physical violence. Although you know uh, people who fly for a living will tell you that even though the numbers 
have have risen sharply there's still it's still uh a pretty uncommon occurrence you know for to have a a, a disturbance on on a flight uh particularly one that's so um so serious that you get the FAA involved but you know there there are more of them and that's what they're they're trying to head off as we sort of get used to flying again, get back in the habit of flying again, is they want to remind people you need to behave and need to, um, you know, just be, be civil. You know, nobody, nobody likes bad behavior in public, but you know, when you're 30,000 feet in the air, uh, that's not exactly where you want to have, uh, you know, an incident that distracts the crew or the pilots or anybody else. And then certainly, uh, nobody who's traveling in, in tight quarters, uh, you're trapped and you can't go anywhere. Nobody, nobody wants to be subjected to that as a passenger either. Why have incidents like this historically been handled as civil cases and not criminal matters in the first place? I don't know. The, um, the Department of Justice certainly has the uh, ability to prosecute uh, those incidents uh, you know, criminally, but generally it's, you know, it's the sort of thing that uh, is, is handled with a, with a civil penalty. And I, I guess it depends on, uh, you know, the incident itself, the nature of it, you know, is it, is it verbal abuse, which, you know, if, if you've been on a flight, uh, airlines don't have a lot of tolerance for anyway. Uh, if, if things get physical, I think, uh, you know, that, that escalates, um, how they respond to it pretty quickly from there. It's such an interesting story. Well, I'm sure we will talk about this again as the summer as summer travel continues. Hopefully, uh, we'll be talking about them getting a handle on it and the number of incidents going down because it it, it really is, it, you know, it, just as you start flying again and people think about you know wanting to go on vacation, you know, this really isn't isn't the sort of thing you want to have to think about or deal with. Yeah, certainly not. All right. Well, we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much. Appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks. Coming up, Lakeshore Drive's name change compromise was approved late last week by City Council. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Here's a great way to stay in touch with Crane's Daily Gist. Subscribe to the Crane's Morning 10. It's our daily newsletter featuring the 10 biggest stories of the day. To subscribe, visit chicagobusiness.com slash morning 10. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Does the rise of remote work redefine where a company is based? The Chicago address for the CEO of Kellogg suggests that the idea of a company headquarters might mean something different than what it used to. Crane's reporter Ali Murati has more. Traditionally, a corporate headquarters was defined as a place where most of the company's top executives were based. If you are using that definition, you may make the argument that Kellogg, the maker of Pop-Tarts and Corn Flakes, is based in Chicago. Their CEO and chief growth officer both own multi-million dollar homes here. However, a company's home base has become harder to pinpoint with the pandemic-driven rise in remote work. Many of those conversations tend to focus on mid- to lower-level employees, but Kellogg's situation shows that top brass sometimes prefer to spend time someplace other than the company's hometown. Kellogg, for example, is based in Battle Creek, Michigan. An emerging virtual C-suite is changing the way longstanding expectations that senior executives cluster together in a traditional corporate headquarters. That means companies hoping to recruit the best leaders might have to let them live and work where they want. That was already happening pre-pandemic. Like in Kellogg's situation, both of the executives I mentioned bought their homes in Chicago back in 2018. 
but it's become even more pronounced during the pandemic. If those executives prefer cosmopolitan hubs of commerce and culture, cities like Chicago could have an edge over smaller locales like Battle Creek. CVS Health is moving to generate more business in Illinois, setting up increased competition with local giants Walgreens and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois. Rhode Island-based CVS, which merged with Health Insure Aetna in 2018, is expanding in Illinois through government-run health insurance programs and medical clinics in its drugstores. Healthcare reporter Stephanie Goldberg has the story in detail for Cranes. As CVS and its Aetna arm make a play for more business here, It'll put pressure on Walgreens and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois, which historically have dominated in their home state. Enrollment in Aetna's health plan covering Illinoisans who are eligible for both Medicare and Medicaid is expected to double when the plan becomes the first in Illinois to expand into all 102 counties. Meanwhile, Aetna entered Illinois' Medicaid managed care program late last year after acquiring the business from Centene. By steering health insurance members toward its pharmacies and clinics, CVS gains more control over patient outcomes and costs. Nationally, CVS is the largest pharmacy chain and the sixth largest health insurer by market share. But in Illinois, it still trails Walgreens and Blue Cross. A state advisory board on historic sites split with Illinois state agencies over the issue of seeking national landmark status for the Thompson Center. Governor Pritzker's office wants to sell the building, but preservationists and others see getting the building a spot on the National Register as a step forward. Dennis Rodkin is reporting the story in detail for Cranes. On Friday, the Illinois Historical Sites Advisory Council voted 10 to 2 to endorse nominating the James R. Thompson Center to the National Trust. An advisory council is a volunteer board working under the auspices of the State Historic Preservation Office. The State Historic Preservation Office and the Central Management Services are two state agencies that are both opposed to nominating the Thompson Center to the National Trust. So this volunteer board of architects, archaeologists, and preservationists is saying that they believe the building should be nominated to the National Register. As we've reported in the past, being on the National Register of Historic Places would unlock tax credits that might make rehab of the Thompson Center financially feasible over demolition. So preservationists see this as a way to make it more possible for the next owner of the Thompson Center to do a rehab plan rather than to demolish it. The problem is that the State Historic Preservation Office doesn't have to take that advisory council's advice. It can decide still not to nominate the building to the National Register. However, preservationists and others can on their own then decide to nominate it themselves. So we may have another chapter coming in the next couple of months. After months of infighting, late last week, the Chicago City Council voted 33-15 to to rename Lakeshore Drive after the city's founder. Outer Lakeshore Drive, from Hollywood on the north to 67th on the south, will be renamed Jean-Baptiste Pointe-du-Sable Lakeshore Drive. The vote comes after months of protests over racial justice, in addition to a nationwide reckoning over monuments and symbols. Supporters say that changing one of the city's best-known roadways to honor Dusable, a black man and Chicago's first non-indigenous settler, is a recognition of contributions that black people have made to the city. 
Pushback against the move mostly centered around the potential cost to those with outer Lakeshore Drive addresses. Alderman Sophia King said during a city council debate, quote, names have significant meaning. It's one of the first things we do when we welcome a child to this world. It's been argued not to change Lakeshore Drive because it's so iconic. I argue just the opposite. Let's change it because it is so iconic. And that's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Our continuous newsfeed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to our guest today, Crane's reporter, John Pletz. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio on demand. And find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.